Turn your Bible to 1 Kings 18. We're going to pick up where we left off last week. Before we do, how many of you um, have a, uh, a birthday this week? How many of you had a birthday this week? Anybody, lift your hand real high. Hold on, hold on, let me see. There's one. Who else? How many of you had a birthday birthday this week? Who, who else? Anybody, anybody's birthday today? Anybody at all? Nobody's birthday today? Yeah, they're out eating cake somewhere, right? All right. Nobody's birthday today. Anybody, how many of you have a birthday this month? Birthday this month, all, all you August folks, or you're going to have a birthday this month. Hey, would you just give all our happy birthday people a big hand? Say ha- happy birthday to you guys. Just for being at church today, we're going to give you a year off your life. So you're a year younger than you were going to be. So there you go. That's our gift to you today. What if, what if it was your birthday and all your friends and family pitched in and raised as much money as they could, they gave it to me and said, I want you to buy our loved one here, like the most awesome gift ever. I want you to buy the most awesome present you could think of, and I want you to give it to them. And I said, okay, I got it. Here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to buy a sports car. I'm going to get an awesome, phenomenal sports car. And you're thinking Camaro, Mustang, GT, 302 Boss. You're thinking Dodge Challenger. You're thinking... Corvette, you're thinking, no, 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 I said, no, 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 it's much better than that, it's a 1984 Pontiac Fiero, yes, yes, and in 1984, they were the most unbelievable cars ever for a minute, Because something was wrong with the design and they would spontaneously combust. Anybody remember this? You would go lay all your money down to buy your Pontiac Fiero. Everybody would go, ooh, ah. And you'd pull it, do it. Ooh, ah. Come on. One, two, three. Ooh, ah. Yes. And you'd pull into a restaurant and you'd go in to eat and you'd come out and your car would be on fire. It wasn't on fire because it was selling hot. It was on fire because it was on fire. And there was a design flaw, and it was the coolest car ever for a minute. It used to be awesome. It is not awesome now. All right, so I struck out. You wouldn't want that for your birthday. What if I took the money and said, I know what I'm going to do. I'm going to buy you stock in this Internet-based company that is going to explode and take over the world. You are going to be loaded beyond your wildest imagination. You're thinking, you're going to buy me stock in Google? You're going to buy me stock in Facebook? And I said, no, 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 no. Better than all of that. I'm going to buy you stock in MySpace. Anybody remember this? Tom, the guy in the t-shirt that started MySpace from his dorm room or wherever he was... I'm going to buy you stock in MySpace. You'd say, no, I don't want stock in... But how many of you remember how awesome MySpace was? Seriously, come on. All the old people, come on. All the old tech people. No, lift your hand. Don't act that way. How many of you remember how awesome it was? How many of you had a MySpace account? How many of you decorated it more than three times? Yeah, gotcha. But look, you don't really want stock in MySpace now, right? Okay, strike two. So, So I said, all right, I got it, I got it, I got it. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to buy you, for your birthday, four tickets to the greatest concert ever. And I'm going to have you and three of your friends backstage passes, and you're going to go to the green room, you're going to hang out with the band, and it's going to be awesome. And you're thinking, 
Like, it's got to be you two or Garth Brooks. Come on, where's all the hicks? Garth Brooks. It's got to be somebody, right? Somebody. And I said, no, 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 no. It's going to be vanilla ice to the extreme. Don't, 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 don't. Right, ice, ice. Come on, everybody. Ice, ice. But you remember it? You know, if you went, you and your three friends would be by yourself. There'd be nobody at that concert but you. At one time, the Pontiac Fiero and MySpace and Vanilla Ice was awesome. And here's what I want you to get. I want you to listen really carefully to what I'm about to say. Everything today that the world calls awesome will eventually one day end up at a yard sale or a junk pile. Everything. All of us are seeking the same thing. Satisfaction. We want fulfillment. We want significance. The problem comes when we try to gain satisfaction from the tangible things around us. Now, I'm going to make a statement. Maybe if you have something you can take notes with, you want to jot this down. It's so important, I wrote it down, and I'm going to put it on the screen. Satisfaction is the result of seeking Jesus first in everything I do. You want to be satisfied in your marriage? Seek Jesus first in your marriage. You want to be satisfied in your finances? Seek Jesus first. You want to be satisfied at work? You want to be satisfied in your relationships? You want to be satisfied with who you are? The answer's not out here somewhere. The answer's in here. Seek Jesus first. Now, I want to give you a quick recap from last week uh, for those of you who, who may not have been here. This series is called The Blessed Life. Now, how many of you want to live a blessed life? This is not a complicated or tricky poll. How many of you want to live a, okay, how many of you want to live a blessed life? Yes. Every, oh, we're all on the same page. Good. How many of you believe that Jesus wants you to live a blessed life? Okay, great. We're batting a thousand. To live a blessed life you must put Jesus first in every area. Now, during this uh, series, we're going to talk about giving. Now, this isn't a series of, uh, this about giving. This is a series about life. But giving is an important part of life. In six years as your pastor, I've never done a series on giving before. But something happened a couple of months ago that just kind of shocked me. There was a family that used to go to our church, and they moved away. And they, when they moved away, they found a new church. And I saw them post on Facebook how excited they were on how they had found the joy of putting Jesus first in their finances, and they had begun to tithe, although they'd been in our church five or ten years. And I thought, why would somebody have to go to another church to find out about how to put Jesus first in your finances? Is that, is that something we don't teach? So it's not something that we, we have uh, put out front all the time. But we're sharing it now. So this series isn't about the church getting your money. It's about God getting your heart. In order for that to happen, you have to put God first in your finances. Now, 1 Kings 18. Let me give you the backdrop of what we covered last week. We started out talking about the nation of Israel. When the nation of Israel turned their heart toward God and followed Him, He delivered them from slavery. He took them to a new land called the Promised Land. They defeated the giants who inhabited that land. They possessed the land. They took the land. They owned the land. And they lived a blessed life. When they got to this place, they eventually got comfortable. They got apathetic. 
they begin to be, uh, uh, their attention was drug away. They eventually turn their back on God. And last week we said, Jesus doesn't want to be second. He doesn't want to be in you and I's top ten. He wants to be first. Now, in this time period, God was very important to them. Although he was not first place, he was very important. These were religious people. He would have easily been in the top ten. He probably would have been in the top five. They were very religious they attended church most of the time. They, they gave some. They served some. They listened to Christian music. You know, they went to a Christian, they read a Christian book here and there. But, but they had lost their first love. And God was not first. So God got their attention by crashing their economy. He told a man named Elijah to pray that it would not rain and it did not rain for three years. And why that's important is because the entire region was based on an agricultural uh, economy. Now, the one thing you've got to have when your entire economy is based on agriculture is rain. You've got to have rain. So God said to Elijah, pray that it won't rain for three years. He prayed that it would rain for three years, and it did not. And so the entire uh, uh, economy began to crash. So finally, after three years, God tells Elijah, go to the king Ahab and challenge him, who was the king of Israel at the time, and challenge him to see whose God is greater. You, and so Elijah did. He went to king Ahab and he said, look, you get your 450 prophets that worship this false god Baal, and I'll show up, and we're going to find out who the real God is. So that's where we pick the story up in 1 Kings 18.20. So Ahab sent word throughout all Israel and assembled the prophets on Mount Carmel. Not Carmel. Carmel. Elijah went before the people and said, How long will you waver between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow Him. But if Baal is God, follow Him. But the people said nothing. Now stop right there. The most disturbing part about that entire passage to me is that the people stood in absolute and complete silence. They didn't do anything. They didn't run. They didn't hide. They didn't fight. They didn't turn their back on God. They didn't run to God. They didn't run away from God. They just sat and stared. They did nothing. Is it possible that they were indecisive? How long are you going to be indecisive, Elijah is saying to these prophets and all the onlookers. You have followed Baal for three years and you are bankrupt, you are hungry, and he is not provided for you. On the other hand, there's a God over here who loves you and will take care of you. How long will you remain indecisive? When it comes to money, we have two options. We can buy into what the world says or we can choose to put Jesus first. Now, there are people all over Christianity who struggle with this issue and have a hard time making this decision. So if you're taking notes this morning, I want to give you five reasons that I, I think that we tend to be indecisive. Uh, this certainly applies to giving, but it also applies to a lot of areas of our spiritual life. It applies to a lot of areas of our, our momentum and our growth, and our, and our commitment with God, we're talking about it in the context of finance, but I think it could apply in a lot of places. Here's the first one. I think, I think we remain indecisive because 
sometimes there's a lack of trust. Uh, you ever you ever met a shady person? You know, somebody's like, hey, I got something for you. I remember I was walking in New Orleans once, downtown, and this guy walks up and passes in front of me and turns around and starts walking backwards in front of me like this and puts a hat on my head. And I'm sitting there and I'm like, what just happened? How did I, how did I, how did I get here walking with this guy? Are we dancing? Why is there a hat on my head? There's a lot of questions. I don't know what's going on. And the guy was trying to sell me something. And I'm like, come on, guy, really? I don't, know if he's, I don't remember if he's trying to sell me the hat. I don't remember what it was. I have no idea. Selling me something. It's a New Orleans. It could be anything, right? Let's face it. I, I don't know if you've ever been in a shady situation, but it just doesn't feel right. And, and some of us have a hard time giving because we've seen some shady things. We've seen shady churches, and we've seen shady leaders, and we've seen shady Christian uh, uh, non-profit organizations or shadiness on TV. Uh, and look, I, I, I understand that and I identify with it. Look, every time I go to the checkout, it seems like everywhere you buy something now, you're going to go to the little thing and, you know, is the amount right? Do you want cash back? And do you want to donate to somebody? Right? you want to donate a dollar to somebody? And I go, no. No, I don't want to donate to whoever this is. Why? I don't know them. I don't know who they are. I don't know what they're about. It's not going to be funneling money through the checkout machine every time I go buy bleach somewhere or cereal, and I don't even know who you're talking about. I understand that feeling. I do. I really do. I identify with it. But look, this is why at our church we post our annual report for everybody to see every year. We just had our auditors. We have an outside auditing group and have had for years that come in and virtually look at every receipt we have. And, and uh, we go through the pain, and when I say pain, what I mean by that is pain. We go through the pain of an audit every year because we want somebody on the outside validating that our practices are ethical and integral. And so I, under, I really understand that. So we don't want those issues. Here's, here's the second reason I think that we're indecisive sometimes. I call it a drive-by guilting. <laughs> you know the concept of a drive-by. You're too, ca- uh, you're too big of a coward to get out and shoot somebody, so you just drive by, put a gun out the window, and shoot on their way by. I think we've kind of seen some of that in Christianity sometimes. There's a sermon preached, and a subject's given, and you're made to feel like you're a terrible person unless you participate. You may have even experienced that at some point here at our church, and I, I hope you haven't. I hope that's not the case. It's guilt-based action. Uh, so let me put it in the context of your family. Uh, husbands, do not respond. I'm trying to help you. Do not respond to what I'm about to tell you. Inside, your, inside the quietness of your own mind, answer this question. How do you feel when your wife guilts you into doing something around the house? Are you having great thoughts of affection toward her? Are you somehow going to tell you something I might clean this, but no, some, uh, right? Why? You didn't really want to do it. You were guilted into it. Guilt is not a great motivator. I mean, it is a great motivator in the short run. It's not a great motivator in the wrong run. So what I'm teaching about giving, I don't want you to start giving because you feel guilty. 
Because you'll give for a few weeks and then you'll quit because the motivation will go away and the motivation's not love. We would have to come every week and I would have to heap guilt on you every week to maintain it. And then you just stop coming. Right? Guilt is not, guilt is not a good motivator. This is a heart issue. It's not a guilt issue. So guilt-based action is unsustainable. Look, I've been amazed at watching people sometimes who are guilt-motivated. I've seen this all of my Christian life, and I've experienced a good heaping of guilt myself. And I've been amazed at how funny I act when I'm motivated by guilt at times and how I do maybe the, maybe the right thing for the wrong reason and what the net effect of that is in my own life as the years go by. But I've seen people who've been guilt-motivated so long they don't know another way. So they do the right thing because it relieves the bad feelings about themselves for a little while. It eases their conscience to do something good. But when that wears off, they have to find someone to tell them they're bad again, step on their toes, put them down, condemn them, heat guilt on them so the works can start to resurface again. And watch this. Then they work their way back to righteous feelings. Did you get that? They work their way back to righteous things. I've watched people, married people, divorce an abusive spouse only to go find another one. And you say, after all those years, you finally got out. Why? Why? Nothing else felt right. I, I have in ministry relieved people in ministry roles from condemning and guilt-driven leaders only to watch them go find another one. And you say, what is wrong with you? Do you like this? And there are Christians who gravitate toward churches where preaching is condemning and guilt-driven because nothing else feels right. They can't get motivated to do good things other than by bad feelings. God doesn't want that for you, and I don't want that for you. He wants you to follow Him because, he, because you love Him. Now watch this. He wants you to get your feelings of righteousness from His works, not from yours. Did you get that? He wants you to get your feelings of righteousness from His works, not from yours. Build your righteousness and your feelings of righteousness on what He did, not on what you do. And that will produce so many other good things in your life. He wants you to give because you love Him, not because somebody's twisted your arm, not because you're trying to unload bad feelings. Giving is about the heart. When we don't, when we don't put Jesus first in our finances, we don't need guilt. We need a heart change. That's the only thing that's sustainable, is a heart change. So here's the, here's the third one. I think sometimes we're indecisive because of fear. I don't know if you found money and fear go hand in hand, right? You ever been afraid you're not going to have enough? And that's a, that's, a, that's a stressful feeling. Money and fear go hand in hand. Usually what, what uh, we fear controls us. And, and what we're afraid of is we say, what if I give this to God and then there's not enough left over? I had, a, I had somebody uh, in our church text me this week. And let me tell you what her story was. She said, I tithe this month, but I was a, a little nervous. Two days later, a man fixed 
my broken down car at his expense. $450. He took it out of his pocket. He paid for it. It cost him. It cost me nothing. Now watch. And, and he said to me, she said, why are you doing this? And he said to me, the reason I'm doing this is because you cannot outgive God. The same day, he had a car he had been trying to sell for a while that he couldn't sell. He sold it and profited a few thousand dollars. So, so you can outgive God or you cannot outgive God. Which one is it? Now, I want you to listen very carefully to what I'm about to say. If you are going to trust God on the verses about heaven, you're going to have to trust God on the verses about money. Right? Why, why would we trust God for our eternity? But we wouldn't trust Him with our money. Unbelievable. Here's the fourth one. Sometimes I think that we are indecisive because, let's face it, we're in debt. A lot of debt. That's the elephant in the room. There are people in this room that are drowning in massive amounts of debt. You think that a legitimate form of financial management is transferring debt from one credit card to another one for the introductory no interest rate. I've done that. I've been in points in my life where I've done that before. And you transfer debt from card to card to card. And maybe you're upside down on your house. Here's what I know about debt. Some people get into debt through serious circumstances completely outside their control. Some people have an unexpected job loss, and there's nothing they can do about that. Some people have, um, boy, health problems. And medical bills will eat your lunch. In our day and age, it will, it will crush you. Some people have to take care of an aging parent, and they didn't expect. And So there's a whole variety of circumstances that can be outside of our control that can propel us into debt, and we're just trying to survive, and there's nothing that we did wrong to cause it. But what is true for most of us is we live in debt because we're trying to finance a lifestyle we can't afford. That's what all the financial gurus in America say. We try to finance a lifestyle that we can't afford. All the financial people say the same thing. When there's a financial problem, usually it's a spending problem. It's not an income problem. So if you're in debt, I want you to understand this morning, debt is not God's will for our life. Now, now that's a strong and an absolute statement. I'm not talking about your house, which is an investment, maybe even a car. The only way to get transportation is to have some form of debt. I'm talking about consumer debt and consumer living and living beyond your means and massive student loan debt, which is now, I don't know if you know this or not, student loan debt is now equivalent to credit card debt in America. It's the same amount of money. Proverbs 22.7 says, The rich rule over the poor and the borrower is servant to the lender. Now, I want you to think about this. The Bible teaches us that we are to be Jesus' servants, and we have a hard time serving Jesus when we're serving MasterCard and Visa and American Excess. No person can serve two masters, right? So look, like I've said from the beginning of this series, I don't want something from you. Uh, I want something for you. And so we want to help you to work on that. If you're in debt... I want to go ahead and tell you on September 23rd, we're going to start a life group 
uh, that's based on Dave Ramsey's financial peace teaching. And if you say, man, I, I need some more thinking, I need some encouragement, I need some help in this area, I'll go ahead and put it out there for you. You can't sign up yet. We're not even that far along. But I want you to know it's coming. So when you see our life group semester launch and you see the life group guide, it's going to be in there. Uh, we're going to be talking about it at the community picnic some. So uh, if you want to be involved in that financial peace group and you want to start working your way out of debt, we want to help you do that because debt is one of the things that makes a person spiritually indecisive. And we want to, we want to cancel that slavery that we get in bondage to uh, called debt. Now, we had a financial peace group this last spring. Uh, yeah, this last spring. Uh, and we had, I don't remember exactly how many people's in the group, but let me tell you what the average debt was in the group. Like you do a survey in the group, anonymous survey. The average debt in the group, non-mortgage debt, not to include your house, other things, $43,000 was the average debt. Credit card debt, automobile debt, you know, on and on and on. So, average debt, $43,000. I think it was uh, just under a million dollars worth of debt sitting in that room. So, so you see, like, what the challenge is. Now, I think it's 800 and something thousand was debt. But now watch. In nine weeks, in nine weeks, that group paid off $85,000 in debt. In nine weeks, $85,000 in non-mortgage debt and closed 45 credit accounts. Pretty good stuff, isn't it? So it's not about us wanting something from you. It's about us wanting something for you. You can't live the blessed life when you're in bondage to creditors, when you're in bondage to debt. So that's part of the freedom that we want to share with you in this series of blessed life. Now, here's the fifth one. Unawareness. Here's the last one, unawareness. So, so maybe we're un, uh, indecisive sometimes. We say, you know, I'll start giving when I get more. I'll start giving when I get more. I, I, that's not true, and let me illustrate it to you like this. That's like your teenager coming to you and saying, I, I, look, you, you gave me a car to drive, but let's be honest, it's a piece of junk, right? It's a clunker. It's not the car I want. So... Uh, I know I run it out of gas constantly, like there's only four miles left to go on the tank. I get that. And I know I never clean it, and I know I never vacuum it, and I know I don't change the oil, and I know I don't take care of it, and I know I don't wash it, and I know I don't come in for curfew on time. However, if you would buy me a new car, like I am totally convinced that it would change everything. I would come in on time, I would change the oil, I would clean it, I would take care of it. Uh, is anybody going, oh, okay, okay, I'll ride a car? How many of you think, like, that's really a good solution? Right? If, if you do, you're adopting me. I'm coming to your house. Jesus said the exact opposite. He who is faithful over a few things will be made ruler over many. He's actually testing you with what you have to see if he can trust you with more. The problem comes when we try to take issues of obedience and make them optional. In America today, 6% 
of church attenders tithe. Did you know if every Christian tithed, we could end world hunger tomorrow, we could educate every child on earth, and we could fully fund world missions? And so we say the problem is this evil culture that's out of control and all of this. Are you sure that's the problem or could the problem be disobedient Christians? God wants to be first and when we don't put him first, there's always going to be problems. 1 Kings 18, let's wrap the story up. 1 Kings 18, 22. Then Elijah said to them, I'm the only one of the Lord's prophets left, but Baal has 450 prophets. Get two bulls for us. Let them choose one for themselves and let them cut it into pieces and put it on the wood, but not set fire to it. I'll prepare the other bull and I'll put it on the wood, but I'll not set fire to it. Then you call on the name of your God and I'll call on the name of the Lord. And the God who answers by fire, he's God. Then all the people said, what you say is good. Now, I want you, if you're, if you're a Bible person, you know what's coming, right? Fire is about to start falling from heaven, and you and I both view that event as an absolute, complete miracle. But I want you to consider for a minute how the people standing around might have viewed it. They haven't had rain in three years. They're living on a brush pile that's about to explode when the fire hits it. Everything's about to torch. The last thing you want when it hadn't rained for three years is fire. And they're about to get a boatload of it. There's something going on in this miracle that's bigger than the miracle of fire. And, and I'll show that to you as we come back next week. God is always doing more than we think He is. We see him work on one plane, and he's working on many planes at one time. So, let's look at verse 25. Elijah said to the prophets of Baal, Choose one of the bulls and prepare it first, since there are so many of you. Call on the name of your God, but do not light the fire. So they took the bull given them, and they prepared it. Then they called on the name of Baal from morning till noon. O Baal, answer us. They shouted. But there was no response. No one answered. And they danced around the altar they had made. At noon, Elijah began to taunt them. Let me uh, translate that in the, in the uh, Hebrew. That means he made fun of them. It's very fancy. And he began to make fun of them. He said, hey, why don't you shout louder? Maybe he's deaf. Surely he's a god. Perhaps he's in deep thought. Maybe he's... Maybe he's meditating his next move and he can't hear you, won't you? Or maybe he's busy, or maybe he's traveling, or maybe he's sleeping and must be awakened. If you look at the original language here, what one of these phrases actually mean is, is maybe he's on the toilet. Maybe he's in the bathroom. I mean, you've got to wait, right? You're just not going to go in. So they shouted louder and slashed themselves with swords and spears as was their custom until the blood flowed. Now, let's stop there for a minute. In our present culture, one of the things that we begin to see, one of the trends that we see moving through the country among teenagers and, and young people and college age students and young adults is people cutting themselves cutting. They'll take a, a, a thin blade 
and cut themselves somewhere. I've seen people with their entire arm cut from shoulder to wrist. Well, they're just trying to kill themselves. No, not trying to kill themselves. Just, just, just mutilating themselves and cutting themselves. And, and, and some people think that's like sociologists. Or something. That's a brand new phenomenon we've never seen. No, no, it's thousands of years old. The prophets of Baal did this thousands of years ago, but here we see in 1 Kings the same thing. But here's what I want to bring you back to. Anytime Jesus is not first place in our life, we will do things that hurt us. And here's these false prophets. And if you're here this morning and you're struggling with cutting, or you're struggling with medicating yourself with uh, alcohol, or drugs, or pornography, or gluttony, or gambling, or compulsive behavior. Let me tell you why you're struggling. You're struggling because you don't think you're good enough. You don't think you deserve any better, and you believe the lie from the devil that you're not worthy of God's love, you're not worthy of His blessing, and you're not a candidate for the blessed life. And you've taken in so much rejection, cutting and medicating and... That kind of thing is not your issue. Your deeper issue is Jesus' place in your life. Jesus, I want you to listen very carefully to me this morning. If I've hit a nerve with you, I want you to zero into what I'm about to say. Jesus died. He laid His life down for you. There is unbelievable value in you. Jesus traded Himself for you. He traded His own life for you. And until you believe that God loves you, you will interpret every negative circumstance of your life as rejection. You'll interpret it that way. Oh, that's, of course, nothing ever works out for me. That's, that's what happened. I had this. I had that. I had p- bad parents. I had this. That guy ran into me. Uh, it's just another day in my life. Welcome to my life. And you'll interpret every negative event as rejection of your own soul. And what I want to say to you this morning is begin to drink God's love in as large of doses as you can get into your soul and begin to heal. Talk to somebody. Pray with somebody. Let us pray with you. Look, it's okay to not be okay, but it's not okay to stay that way. It's all right that you're at church. It's all right that you came. It's all right that you're not okay. It's okay. You're not wrong for not being okay. It's just not okay to stay like that. Let's let's pray and let the healing begin. Verse 29 says, Midday passed and they continued their frantic prophesying until the time for evening sacrifice, but there was no response. I I want you to zero in with me. There was no response, no one answered, and no one paid attention. Baal did not answer because Baal was not God. Now, here's the, here's the thing. Here's the takeaway. Baal was a God that people created, which is just another example of how nothing will satisfy your soul except Jesus. Nothing. It's another example. Satisfaction, I'm going to say it again, is the result of seeking Jesus first in everything we do. You want to be satisfied in your life? In every area of your life? Jesus said, seek first the kingdom of God, and all these things then will be added to you. Maybe you've battled with one of the issues that we've talked about this morning. Nothing in the world will satisfy you. I'm going to ask the musicians to come. Maybe maybe you say, look, I'm ready to make the move. I want to put Jesus first in my finances. I want to take the tithing challenge. Good. 
I'm not going to promise you. I'm not going to promise you that the day you put Jesus first in your finances, that your circumstances are going to change. I am not a prosperity gospel preacher. What I will promise you is your joy will. And what I will promise you is your confidence in God will begin to change because you will then feel the relief and the weight of saying, I am not in this fight by myself. Now God is in it with me. And you will feel that joy and you will feel that relief because now obedience is no longer optional to you. You have put Him first. Do you agree that putting Jesus first in your life will bring you joy? I mean, do you, like am I, is there, a, is there a debate on that? Or do we, we, we generally feel like that's, that's all right? Then why would putting Jesus first in your finances not produce the same joy? Why would that be different? It's only different because we, we make it different. We think it's different. But it's not different. This is about Jesus being first. So I want to ask you this morning, and I want to ask you to stand with me. Where's Jesus in your life? Like, seeing your top ten? What what number? Where is he? He wants to be first. Jesus is first in your life. There's going to be satisfaction. Look, the Pontiac Fiero and Vanilla Ice and MySpace and all the other junk that we spend so much time with that'll just be everybody. Look, we laughed. We laughed at what everybody thought was awesome 20 years ago. We laughed at it today. Why can't we get that perspective about the junk that's around us now? The only thing that's going to change is time. Our perspective will change and we'll say, oh yeah, boy, wasn't that weird? Isn't it funny that we use that? And it won't produce any satisfaction. Sometimes it'll just, it'll delay. Sometimes it'll distract. But the only thing that can bring satisfaction is Jesus. So I, I want to ask everyone if you'd close your eyes with me. And, and please, if you can, I, I'm not going to keep you long. Would you stay just for a couple minutes? Nobody moving. It's, it's still a couple minutes early for service to be out. Would you just lock in with me and stay for a minute? Man, this is such an important moment, and I want us to pray today. And so I want to ask our prayer team, if you'd go ahead and move. Everybody else stay where you are. Every, every eye closed. I just want to talk to you for a minute this morning. If Jesus isn't first, you can make Him first. If you're in this room and you're struggling with cutting or medicating or drugging or, or alcohol or uh, gluttony or, or pornography or whatever, compulsive behavior. You're struggling with depression this morning. You may be struggling because there's things in your past you can't forgive yourself for. I'm telling you, man, the Lord put that on my heart as I was studying this weekend. There's some of you that you're struggling because you can't forgive yourself for things that you have done and the Lord wants to heal you and set you free and bless you. But you don't think you deserve blessing because you think what you did was so bad you can't ever get over it. How could I have done anything like that? And I'm saying to you, God doesn't want you living under the curse of that guilt and even your own sin. He wants you to live under the blessing of His forgiveness. 
And so maybe that's you this morning. And you may be here and you say, I can't put Jesus first in my finances. He's not first in my life. I don't even know Him. I need to start or restart a relationship with Jesus this morning. Every, Every eye closed. If you're just here today and you say, I I need prayer. I need Jesus to be first in my life somewhere. Would you just lift your hand and say, pray for me today. I need Jesus to be first in my life. Would you just lift your hand? Yeah, I see it. Yes, yes, yes. Yeah, in the middle, in the back, in the back. Yeah, yeah. Come on, just lift your hand. Would you pray for me today? I need Jesus to be first in my life. I need Jesus to be first in my life. The balcony. I want to pray for you. And here's what I'm going to do. And when I get done praying, the worship team is going to begin to sing. And I'm going to invite you, if you lifted your hand or not, to come and let the prayer team pray with you. It's a big deal for you to take a step and say, Jesus, something will happen spiritually in your heart. Transformation will happen in your soul as you begin to act on what you've confessed. If you begin to step out and say, I want Jesus to be first. I'm going to pray for you. And then the worship team is going to sing. And I'm going to ask you just to come. And just as that happens, I'm going to dismiss everybody else. And so so I want you to, to begin to move then. Lord, this morning I thank you for laying down your life. I thank you for being the ultimate example. God, for those in this room who are putting you first, it is not an easy path and it comes with challenges. And I lift their hands up today in victory. And I pray you would give strength to those who are in the battle fighting to keep you first in their life. God, give them strength. Give them grace. Give them encouragement. Refresh them today. Renew them today. Let a strength come on their life. Let an encouragement and a motivation come on their life as they leave this house this morning and say, Thank God. God has given me everything I need in Christ Jesus to live a godly life and to live with you first. Lord, encourage today. And for those who don't have you first, God, I pray you would move us today. Move who you came to move. So this morning, if you say, I've been moved today and I want I want to move. I've been moved by the Holy Spirit. I've been moved by God. And I want to respond to that by moving myself. Would you come now? Come now. Worship team, begin to lead us. Would you come now?